Thanks, Ryan. Welcome back. Good to have you here for a number of reasons. It's always good to have the leader in the house and uh, the shepherd around, so that's good. Hey, uh, if you don't know, uh, Pastor Joe was in the hospital over the, over the weekend with some, uh, with some gallstone issues, so if you would just keep him in prayer uh, this week. Yeah, I heard some groans out there. You know, you know it's not a lot of fun, uh, so just keep him in prayer this week. Uh, I know that he would appreciate that very much, and, uh, and we are doing the same thing. Um, glad that you're here. Welcome back to school if you've already started, and if you haven't yet, but you're about to. <laughs> Good for you. I know. Everybody I've asked this morning if they're ready for school, they're like, no. No? Not ready for that. And all the parents are like, yeah, come on. Right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, before we start, I just want to pray for us, uh, me, for you, for all of us. So let's do that together. God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you that you call us to be a community. Um, thank you that you call us to be friends and to be family and to just spend time with you together. God, I, I pray that wherever we are, whether it's in this room, whether it's uh, watching this live, whether it's watching it later, God, I pray that you would be real to us this morning, that, that your presence would be with us uh, that we would know that you are for us and you love us and, uh, and you have brought us to this place, wherever it is that we are, on purpose and, uh, and for a purpose. Thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for the example that you, that you give to us. I pray that you would, you would strengthen us for this week ahead, that you would prepare our students and our teachers and everyone, um, whether they've started or they're about to start, um, Make 2022-23 a new year and a good year. Thank you for that grace. Uh, it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so I have a question for you, and we got some new lights in here, so we're all going to get used to this together, but I, I can see you, so I, I want you to raise your hands. How many of you have ever been in a place and you knew, uh, I don't belong here right now? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully you're not saying that about right this moment, because um, you do belong here. This is good. This is good. But uh, if you've ever been in that place, I, I want to tell you a story about a time I knew I was where I should not be. Uh, so when I was about 18, almost 19, I, I got a new job, and uh, it was delivering food. And so uh, this is back before Uber Eats, right? So it's kind of easy now. Uh, you know, you get the app and you order your food and whatever. So back in the day, you used to have to actually like pick up the phone and call this place that I worked for, and you would tell them what you wanted to eat, and then they would fax the restaurant your order. And then when I got to the restaurant after they made the food, uh, I would get this fax that would say, here's what's on the order, and then here's the address of the house that you go to, and I would pull out my map and unfold it across the dashboard of my car, and I would go, okay, yeah, this is where I'm going, this is how I get there. And then I had a walkie-talkie that I would communicate with the, uh, <laughs> with the people who own the business and tell them, okay, I got the food, I'm on my way to the house, right? So this is like, this is the old days, right? This is very antiquated. Uh, but it worked. It worked really well. And so we would deliver food all over the city. And uh, it's not the town that I lived in, but it was close to it. It was about 20 minutes away. So had been doing this for a few weeks, kind of in the flow, in the swing of it, not a big deal. So I deliver 
uh, this food to a house, and it's in a sketchy part of where I grew up. So uh, we used to call it the Heights. If you ever had to go to the Heights, it was like you lock the doors and roll up the windows a little bit, you know, that kind of that kind of neighborhood. But whatever, I was there a bunch, you know. This is just where I this is just where I worked, and I, I delivered food. So I deliver the food, get a decent tip. I'm happy, and I'm leaving, and I'm I'm radioing into the into the headquarters to say, okay, I dropped off the food, what's next? And, uh, and they're like, well, we don't have anything yet, so just hang out. So I'm driving down the street, I'm like a mile and a half away from, from this house and on the main street, and suddenly there's like three cop cars all around me, lights, sirens, the full Monty. And you know, I, I back then I was not as cool as I am now, believe it or not. Um, it was like 160 pound, bad hair, you know, whatever, dude, driving this terrible 80s car. And, uh, and so I'm like, well, I don't know what I've done, but, uh, you know, this is not good. So they pull me over, and the first car is this un unmarked, undercover car. And the guy that gets out of it is a mountain. He's huge. He's like 6'5", 250 if he's a pound, right? And, uh, and he has his gun drawn. And at this point, I know I have messed up. I don't know what I've done. I didn't think I was speeding, but I didn't think pulling your gun out warranted that. So he kind of stands at the back of my car, right, and, and the window's down, and he's just, he doesn't have the gun pointed at me, but it's handy, right? It's handy. And he's like, all right, put your hands out the window, and, and then, you know, open the door slowly, get out, walk to the back of the car. So here I am, standing at the back of my car on the trunk, and, uh, and they're telling me, like, you messed up. I'm like, well, what did I do? They said, well, uh, what were you just doing at this house around the corner? They give me the address. And I'm like, I deliver food, man. Uh, I, I dropped off some, some Mexican food and some Cokes. And uh, so eventually they, they kind of pat me down, figure out I don't have any weapons. They search my car. They see all the receipts. You know, they see all the, the extra sodas that I have in my car. And they're like, okay, here's the deal, man. Uh, you must tell your boss never to deliver to this address again. And I'm like, that's fine. I can do that. I can relay that message quite clearly to the owners. Uh, that's fine. So it uh, turns out it was a, uh, it, I'm sure you can figure it out by now, it was, a, it was a drug house. And so there were lots of activities going on there that were not of the wholesome variety. And uh, so we, we refrained from going to that place. And then a few weeks later, I saw in the news that they they indeed uh, busted the people that lived there and, and took down that house. But it was clear in the moment as I stood behind my car that this was a place that I should not have been. Uh, and that had consequences. Fortunately for me, they weren't too severe. Uh, for others, there were probably some consequences that, that came about that were pretty bad. So I want to tell you about a story from the Bible that shows us uh, where there's an encounter where maybe some people felt like they didn't belong, uh, but it has a vastly different outcome. So uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and uh, it is not on version. but if you'd like to pull up version and just go to Luke 7, we're pretty much going to live there uh, today, uh, if you've got that on your phone. If not, the verses, as you can see, will be on the screens, and you can follow along there uh, with us. So we're in Luke 7, starting in verse 11 goes like this. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. 
that's that. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. So here we are. Jesus, you don't know this, but just prior to this, Jesus has healed the servant of a Roman soldier. And uh, this Roman soldier had a, a lot of power. He was very influential. And he kind of looked out for the, the Jewish people who attended their version of church, the synagogue in that area. And he had sent some, some people to Jesus to say, look, my servant is very sick. I have heard that you heal people. I have faith in you, and I believe that you can heal him even from a distance. And so Jesus does that, and people are amazed. They, they don't know what to think about this. This Jesus is doing things they've never heard about before. And so they start following him. And they're like, what's going to happen next? Where are we going? What's happening? And Jesus is like, uh, you know what's happening? We're going to go and we're going we're to walk all day. Sounds like fun. Let's take off and go to this next place. So they go about 25 miles, and that's when they reach Nain. So they've been walking all day. It's probably the, the end of the day. And the people that are following Jesus are following life, right? They've, they've just heard this amazing story about how Jesus has healed someone. They're, they're excited. They're, they're looking for the next big adventure. They're wondering what's next on the menu. And they come to this place, and there's a clash of two crowds. Because leaving the city is a funeral procession. And if you have ever been to a funeral procession, you know what comes with that. It's somber. It's sad. People sometimes have regrets. There, there's a whole... Um, there's a whole mood that goes along with it. And this one especially is sad because it says that it's a widow who has lost her only son. It's a woman all alone. And even though her community is with her, we know when you lose someone close to you, it can feel very, very lonely. It can feel very alone. So there must have been tension in this moment, right? A big crowd following Jesus. I've heard people estimate even maybe thousands of people already with Jesus. Hundreds? We're not sure, but there is a crowd. And then the people of the town are coming out. It's not like they could avoid each other, right? I mean, if you think about the size of a gate outside of a city of this kind of place, it wouldn't be that big. It's not like we can go, well, we'll just go around the block and, and avoid this. There was this meeting. There's this clash. It's one crowd following life and another crowd following death. There's another meeting that happens. There's two sons who are meeting. Clearly, Jesus is son of God the Father. He is alive, but he knows that he's destined to die. In this moment, Jesus is alive, but knows death is coming. The widow's son has already passed, and no one but Jesus knows that life is coming to him. Two sufferers meet. Jesus is walking among his people. He, he's with humans. He sees the pain and the hardship that they're going through. The widow is facing an uncertain life. Her security has all gone out the window. She no longer has anyone to provide for her. She has to depend on these people traveling with her. Her community 
has to become her source of survival. There must have been loneliness, anxiety, and fear in the middle of this. Jesus, as I said, is facing this and realizing what's happening. And I want you to just focus for a minute on his response to that. What does Jesus do here? In verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. There's so much here, and we're going to unpack it a little bit at a time. But the first thing I want you to notice is compassion. It's not pity. Anybody know what pity is? Pity is sympathetic sorrow for someone suffering, distressed, or unhappy. It's like, oh man, I see that you have to start school this week, and I pity you for having to go do that and sit in in class all day. But I'm going to do nothing about it. In this case, if it's school, it's because we know it's good for you to a certain extent. But Jesus doesn't have pity. Jesus has compassion. And the definition of compassion is sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. Jesus, in this moment, not only has sympathy, his heart is moved to say, I can and must do something about this pain, this distress that you are in. I can't stand here and watch you go by and do nothing. Jesus enters into this in his compassion. He sees so much of the trouble of the world that he has come to alleviate in this moment. The widow becomes everything that Jesus is here to fight. The loneliness, the regret, the uncertainty, the wondering if there's hope, despair. Now, Jesus says something unusual in this moment. What does he say? Don't cry. Well, that seems a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, I mean, he knows what's happening in her life. Don't cry is the first thing you say. Not, I'm so sorry. But Jesus, Jesus knows he has to get her attention. Jesus knows something incredible is about to happen. And if he doesn't bring the crowd to him, to his side, they might miss it. The widow might not even see what's happening here. See, usually this procession, the the body would go first with people carrying it because no one wanted to touch it. In in that culture, if you touched a dead body, you had to live outside of the city. You you had to go through a bunch of cleansing to to get clean again. They, They tried to make themselves safe by not coming in contact with things that could be harmful for them. And so he, he is at the head here, and he wants this crowd to see, hold on, something is about to happen here. Jesus is not saying don't cry out of a lack of compassion. Jesus is saying, hey, all eyes up here. I need you to see what is about to happen here. Don't miss this. It wasn't harsh. It wasn't unloving. It was Jesus saying, I see you, and I want you to see what I'm going to do for you. As I said, no one 
No one would, uh, would want to touch this dead body on purpose unless they were designated to do that. And, and it says here that it's a coffin. And this is kind of why uh, it's good to know what's behind translations of the Bible. Uh, because we think coffin, you know, lids closed, box, all of those things. But in this case, it's probably more like a stretcher. So the fact that Jesus even touches that much is a big deal. Jesus is now identifying with this, this dead man in a way that no one in their culture would. And so, of course, they stop because they're like, okay, he said something weird and he's touched this dead person. What is going on here? All of this to settle the scene. Jesus realizes he needs to bring this to a head here. The tension can't last the way that it is. So then Jesus speaks. Here's what he says in verse, end of verse 14. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus acts as only he has the power to do with the power that his father has given him here on earth. This is an incredible moment. Not only does Jesus speak, get up, but so does the boy. He, he was gone. He had been dead all day. They were going to bury him. This isn't like, you know, whoops, we made a mistake. This kid was gone, and now he's not. Now he is back to life. And listen, I want us to see that because there is a part of that that's important for our life today. But I don't want to miss when we um, are amazed at what Jesus does. I don't want to miss that what Jesus does is also a blueprint for our lives. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I can raise the dead because I cannot. <laughs> that is not a power that, that God has given me. It's not something that God has regularly done in my life. But God gives us the power to stand in front of a crowd of grieving, lonely people and to declare that there's life in this place, which is what he's doing here. It's not the end of the story. So the question this morning for us is which crowd are we? Are we in the crowd leaving the city, headed to the cemetery in despair? Or are we the crowd coming into the city full of life and hope and marveling at the possibilities of what could be and what we might experience? I think this passage shows us that Jesus makes all the difference in our lives in this moment. See, Jesus is the only difference between these two crowds. Same people, they're all moving. And for us, the question is, have we aligned our lives with the life of Jesus? Have we declared, okay, Jesus, I'm going on this journey with you because I am in awe of what you can do. I've seen, just like we sang this morning, I have seen the way you move. I've seen you move mountains in people's lives, and I want to be a part of that. 
And so Jesus calls us to, to go on this journey with him, to go to the city, to witness what he does, to see what he does in our midst, and then to be a part of telling other people about that, to see it, to be affected by it, and then to do something because of what that's done in our lives. He calls us to move, to get up off of your mat. The difference is that when we're moving to the cemetery and we don't know who Jesus is and we don't know what he can do in our lives, we don't have that hope because we're wondering, what, what am I doing with my life? What is the point of all of this? I'm left alone and scared and I don't know what to do. But Jesus enters that. Jesus makes that possible for all of us. When we decide that we are on the team of Jesus, we get to move with him. We get to move with hope. We get to leave despair behind because it no longer rules our lives. I'm going to get to how that happens in a little bit. But we need to be reminded of that this morning. Despair is not the last word in our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, despair has no power over you anymore. Death isn't the final word for your life. It's not the final word for our lives. This chaos in the world that we live in, it doesn't get to define who we are. It's no longer our identity the craziness, and the weirdness of our world. You have got so much more hope than that. So, if we are alive, which those of us who follow Jesus, we are alive, it's time to live, right? It is time to live with hope. This son showed two signs of life. He sat up, and then he spoke, right? And it doesn't tell us in Luke. Luke doesn't record what the son says. Uh, it would be fascinating to know this. It would be great to know, like, what do you say when Jesus <laughs> has taken you from death to life? What is the first thing you say? Like, whoa, that was a ride? Okay, we're doing this now. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I would imagine there's got to be some amazement there. Uh, I would imagine he's got to be like, Okay, what's going on here? Why is everybody hanging out outside of the city? I don't know. I don't know. But he does it. It's, it's the, the sign that he is alive. And this is a sign for us. Jesus then gives the widow back her son. Uh, it's a little bit of foreshadowing for later in Jesus' life when, when he gives his mother uh, one of his disciples, as a, a replacement son, as someone who can care for her and take care of her and, and give her confidence and assurity. But he does this in this moment. He gives the son back to the widow. It's the gift that Jesus gives. He gives her so much grace. He gives her renewal of her life. It's not just her son's life. It's a renewal of her life too. And I'm sure she, in her, even in her shock state, must have realized what Jesus was doing for her in this moment. I see you, I see your pain, and I'm not going to let that pain be the end of your life. It's not going to be the final chapter of your life. Your son gets to live on and be a part of your life and give you 
the assurance that you need. So how do they react? Uh, in verse 16, it says, Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God. This isn't like terrified fear. This is like respect. They, they see Jesus for who he is in this moment, that he has power over life and death like no one they've ever met before or seen except for two people. This, this whole story kind of uh, is, a, is a retelling of what happens with some Old Testament prophets. These guys lived hundreds of years before, and the people would have known about them, Elijah and Elisha. They were, were powerful men of God who, could, who in, in one instance, raised uh, a son back to life. But it, it had never been done outside of this story. So they're immediately like, okay, this guy, this guy is special. But they kind of miss it. They say, a mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. They don't quite see Jesus for who he is. And Jesus is always a little bit mysterious about who he is. But they're like, man, this guy is a really good prophet. They kind of get it when they say God has visited his people today. But if Jesus is just a prophet, he probably doesn't have this power, right? It's so rare. It so does not happen on a normal basis. But what we get out of this is Jesus has changed this crowd. These people were leaving the city lost. They, didn't, they weren't even looking for hope. They thought they had lost it. They were just in mourning. And if you've been in mourning, you know that it's all-encompassing. It, it can just cover your life like a wet blanket. And Jesus, Jesus turns that wet blanket into the light of day. He removes that cloud of mourning, and they are amazed. Look at how quickly this turns. It's, it's incredible. It's amazing that they have this opportunity to be with Jesus like this. The news spreads. People are changed. Uh, he gathers more followers, and they follow him on to other cities and see other incredible things happen. They get to be part of other just amazing parts of Jesus' ministry. Okay, so we could, we could all day think about what Jesus has done in raising life and think about hope and despair in our own individual lives. But I also want us to spend a minute thinking about this crowd, thinking about these people who are changed. Like I said before, Jesus is giving us a blueprint for the life of a Jesus follower in this moment. And if we're honest, when we look around our world today, there's not a lot of hope. Am I, am I wrong in that? No. There's not a lot of hope. Even Christians who are wondering about hope, we're kind, we're kind of failing our neighbors and our friends and the people around us. We don't live like there's a lot of hope. I'm going to be honest. I, I don't always live like there's a lot of hope. I, I wrote most of this sermon uh, over the course of a couple of weeks. Ryan had told me about a month ago that 
that he was, you know, looking for somebody for the seventh. And this, this passage came up, and I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, all right, all right. Um, it's a powerful one. As you can see, there's so much going on here. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, was, I was feeling good about it. I was, I was excited, uh, a little bit nervous, because there is so much to unpack here. But uh, I got to be honest, last week, um, I was at a, a motorcycle race. Some of you know that I, I work also. I work here part-time. I also uh, work on motorcycles um, in a national race series. So we were in Minnesota at a race, and uh, one of our competitors was in an accident and passed away. And uh, he was a friend, not just a competitor. Uh, he was a guy that I had gotten to know over the last two years. And uh, it's funny because he would... <laughs> He was this funny guy. He has this massive beard, um, but he was a, a bit larger than life, as you would expect some of these riders to be. And uh, he was very gregarious. He loved people. He just loved people. This overriding theme that we have heard about Scott in the last few weeks, or the last week, has just been how, uh, how much his life impacted other people's lives. And uh, he would start every conversation with me, uh, whether text phone or in person with, hey, handsome, <laughs> which if you're a dude, you're like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Not going to lie, that feels a little awkward. And it did. It did. Um, but that's one of the things that, that we all loved about Scott. And uh, it happened on a Friday afternoon, and it, it shut down our, our uh, series for the rest of the day. And then Saturday morning, there was a memorial service, and we're so fortunate to have good chaplains. We, we have pastors who travel with us, and uh, Chaplain Mark did just the work of, of three people, uh, ministering to the family, leading this memorial service, you know, talking to people in the paddock who, who, who needed to, to have some hope in their lives. But it was a tough week. It's been a tough, tough week been a hard week. I didn't realize how much I would need what I'm talking about today in my own life. Let's be honest. Man, sometimes we get worn down. Sometimes our stuff feels like it's too much. And it is easy to think, I, I think the despair is winning. You know? I mean, let's, come on, let's stop kidding ourselves. We are not perfect. We don't get this right all the time. Sometimes we need more hope than it feels like we should as Christians. That's okay. It's not wrong to wonder where God is in the middle of all of this stuff. It's not wrong to wonder how we're going to figure out some hope for our lives. Where we often go wrong is when we isolate ourselves and we keep moving to the cemetery and leave the crowd behind. If you are walking alone in your despair, I want you to know that is not what God wants for your life. He wants you to be a part of the community that's walking to the city with Jesus, saying, there's hope. I don't know what's going to happen here, but there's hope because we've got Jesus with us, because Jesus 
walks among us. I think we've gotten really good at 1 Peter 3.15, which is where Peter says, hey, you, uh, need to have, um, you need to have an answer. Whenever someone says to you, hey, what's the, what's the hope inside of you? You have to have an answer. We forget what Peter says right before that. So 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. It says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. A little bit more. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. And then he goes on to say, when people see this in your life, have an answer. He's not saying, go out and yell at people and tell them and be in their face and do all of this stuff. He's saying, live your life together, humbly, tender, caring for each other. And then when people see the miracle going on in your life, the miracle going on in your community, then they're going to say, hey, what's going on here? Why are things different? I think we've gotten this backwards. We want to go out and tell people, hey, you ought to be living like this. And then we don't, <laughs> we don't live that way. I don't live that way too often. Too often I leave that behind. Your life, my life, it means so much to our world. It means so much to the people in your life. It means so much to the people that you are going to meet. You are the representatives of real hope, of real life. I am the representative of real hope and real life. I want to live like that. I don't want to be on the road to the cemetery wondering if all of this matters. Was, I had a whole bunch of stuff to say about ways that you could get connected here. I, we're not going to do that. I gave you an extra story uh, because that was what was happening this week. There are so many ways that we need more of your life, not just here in this place, in this neighborhood. I know some of you live in this area. Some of, some of you maybe come from a little further away. Your neighborhood needs you. Your neighborhood, our neighborhood, needs Genesis. It needs people who are living with hope, who have decided that they are going to follow Jesus out of despair. Um, Ryan told you this morning about, about our kids' ministry needs more volunteers. Our teenagers need people in their lives that care about them. Listen, we, we have opportunities so often to be with people who are looking for ways out of despair. Let's be hope in this place. Let's be hope in our families. But we've got to do it together. You've got... You've got to be part of the community. And, and, and I know that that might sound harsh, 
But I hope that everything that I have said to you so far this morning has shown you that it's not out of harshness. It's out of love. It's out of care. It's out of a desire for something more important out of your life and out of the lives of your family. So this, this morning, you are alive. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are alive. You have hope. Don't forget that. And if you have forgotten that, be a part of us. Get to know us. And if you are a person who's been here for a while, or you are a person who knows that you have hope and you have hope to share, it's time to share it. It's time to get involved in the lives of people who walk through this door, who are in your community, who are at your workplaces. Uh, listen, we're, we're going to have sickness. We're going to have COVID and all of these things in our lives for a long time. Um, we're figuring out ways to live through that, around that. Um, I, we need each other. We need you to be interacting with people in your lives. Jesus is calling us to take a risk, to hope in here, and to not live out of despair. God, you, you are the author of life, and you have called us to live a life. God, I pray that this morning you would equip that in us, that if there are questions about what that means for my life, I pray, God, that you would give us places to ask those questions. That, that us as a staff and a leadership team here at Genesis, that we would step into relationships. That we would see people who are looking for hope from you. And that we would find that hope that you have given us. I am so grateful that you resurrect our dead lives. That you give us hope and a purpose. God, this morning as we sing this song, Graves in the Gardens, help us to see this as a time to reflect with you, to not just sing some words, God, but to think about what this means in our lives and then to sing these words as our commitment back to you. Above all else, Father, I pray this morning that there would be hope in this place.